Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse, the fifth column. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, comrades and compañeros, fifth columnist, it's Michael Moynihan. Vice News Tonight's national correspondent. Is that what I am? I think I'm still bad. Um, but yet again, because, you know, the reaction's been strong and I'm, I really, really appreciate all the emails um, and direct messages and all that stuff on Instagram and Twitter and the rest of it. But this is another special dispatch. And we're trying to squeeze more of these in and this weird kind of summer schedule. And it's tough to get Matt Welch and Camille Foster and um, myself in the same room. Uh, so today, as you saw when you downloaded this episode, we have a really, really good one. And if anybody, if you guys out there are paying attention to journalism, to radio, to film, uh, to podcasts, you definitely know John Ronson. Uh, he's our guest today. He's a Welsh journalist who lives here in New York City. Um, and, you know, he's written books that I'm sure you know, The Psychopath Test, which was huge. Uh, the Men Who Stare at Goats, which became a George Clooney movie. And, you know, recently, two terrific... Uh, pos- oh, I should say also, So You've Been Publicly Shamed, which is how I know John, because the first couple chapters of that book involve me. Well, you know precipitating a public shaming. I didn't actually publicly shame anyone. So that's how I met John and uh, we've become friends and I admire him greatly. And his stuff is fantastic. He's a fantastic writer. And, you know, most recently he's done two podcasts, which I think are both available widely now on Spotify and things like that. They used to be behind a paywall, but both are about the porn industry. And both are terrific. The first one is called The Butterfly Effect. And the second one he just released called The Last Days of August, just released probably six months ago, about the death of a porn star, suicide of a porn star named August Ames. And John does a pretty in-depth investigation into that uh, because the initial assumption was that she was publicly shamed and ended up taking her life as a result. So we had a, an amazing, we did, like I do these preambles um, sort of after we record them. It's not going to address anything that comes up, but there's nothing that really needs to address beyond the fact I got 45 minutes of sleep last night. Why? It's none of your business. You don't need to know that. But I didn't get much sleep last night. And so I came in here a little shaky. Um, John uh, didn't have a ton of time and said to me after that he would have stayed longer because we always have these nice conversations. But we did have a pretty, pretty in-depth conversation. Wish we had spent more time on the porn stuff because, um, you know, we had other great conversations about cancel culture, Twitter mobs, Alex Jones. It's a pretty good star-studded uh, podcast. Mentions of stars. They don't come on the podcast. So it, I, I'm happy with it because I thought it was a really fun interview. And um, I think that you'll be happy with it, too. If you're not happy with it, I don't care. Don't tell me because that will hurt my feelings and that'll you'll be shaming me. If you do like it, send me a message. So now listen to me, Michael Moynihan, speaking to John Ronson. John Ronson, thank you Michael. For, for, for joining. I've uh, wanted to do this for some time. I don't think we've ever actually talked, you know, 
publicly together about, about actually there was one there was one time we were both guests on a podcast um oh my god i've forgotten her name oh, she's mandy uh, yeah mandy Statmiller. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and so we we talked briefly as we were go as we yeah were but we weren't at the same time no i think we so. were yeah yeah yeah, but well, but our lives have sort of intersected over the years in <laughs> in you know an unusual way. Yeah, um, you emailed me. Well, let's get back to this. I want to I want to start with your background. Um, you have a very odd Mancunian accent, despite being from Cardiff. Yes, so um, you're English. Yeah, well, you're you're a Manc. Well, I'm Welsh. Uh, yeah, but I'm a I'm a Manc. I left. Cardiff when I was about 17 and moved to 18 and moved to London for a few years and then moved to Manchester and for some reason I guess to do with some sort of psychology uh, I adopted the Manchester accent (laughs) it's Uh, to survive in Manchester (laughs) either to survive or maybe survive in Fallowfield or maybe so actually Longside which was the next village down Rami village is a big word for I was I I was in Fallowfield and Burnage okay yeah right um which I think were the Gallagher's are from Burnage too. Yep, they they were. They were. I don't know. Maybe but you moved there to be a musician. Yes. When I was living in London, I, I met these two bands. I met Frank Sidebottom, who yes. wore a big fake head that he'd never took mm-hmm. off, and I met an indie band called The Man from Del Monte. Mm-hmm. And they both expressed interest in me. Um, the Man from Del Monte to manage them, and, <laughs> and I ended up managing them. Into, Can we keep you behind the curtain? John? <laughs> and with Frank Sidebottom, I was I was gonna, I was his keyboard player and his agent, his mm-hmm. booking agent. And ultimately somebody who wrote a film about him, too. Yes, I, I co-wrote the film Frank with Peter Strom, with Michael yeah. Fassbender playing a sort of fairy tale version of Frank's Sidebottom. Yeah. Uh, Which I think is still available on Netflix, is that I correct? And where they take it off. So. I, I hope it's still yeah. there, but I don't know, I haven't, I haven't checked. But so, so that road, it's kind of a weird winding road from being the keyboard player right. Frank Sidebottom to you become a journalist next. Yes. Well, it was quite simple, actually. I was, um, I, I was clearly not cut out for the music industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Manfred Del Monte were, should have made it. And I think the only reason why they didn't was because I was their manager. And they had a, had a shit name, too. Yeah, they had a terrible <laughs> name. And also, they, they were kind of slightly out of time. Um, they were perceived to be middle class at a time when working class bands were, were popular, like Stone Roses and yeah, so yeah. on. Um, and and I, was, so I was a terrible manager. I was a kind of okay agent. But then again, you just phone up a venue and, you, you know, it's not that skillful. Yeah. Uh, when you're at our low level. You say that right after you confess to being terrible at it, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so perhaps it's not just calling up the venue. It's, There's it's, a little more to it than that. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I think so. And, um, and as a keyboard player, I, I, I could just play C, F, and G, which yeah, happened yeah. to be the three notes that you needed to know how to play to be in Frank Sidebottom's yeah. band. But it did mean that I couldn't ever... It be wasn't in a, other bands. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't a stepping yeah. stone. Your first kind of breakout book is Them. Them. Which is about 12 years later. It's about 12 years later. And yeah. so there's that period where you're just sort of working for The Guardian and writing yeah, and, and other making places. Some, making some TV documentaries So as TV well. stuff. A documentary called Tottenham Ayatollah, which was about my year hanging out with Omar Bakri. Yes. Britain's most notorious militant Islamist. And you are Jewish? Yes. How he that, outed how? me. He outed me as a Jew at his jihad training camp. Oh, uh, really? In a scout hut uh, near Gatwick Airport. Um, and said, uh, said uh, to all, all the jihad trainees he said look at me with the infidel john who is a jew and they all went <gasps> and, really yes and i said i said surely it's better to be a jew than an atheist 
And I heard someone go, no, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> and the other crazy no, thing not. about that story is that I am an atheist. I don't know why the fuck I decided to, to assert, proudly assert my Jewishness. Yeah. the only time in my I life. Think, I think they probably <laughs> think of Judaism more as a racial thing uh, than they do as a religious <laughs> I, kind of set yeah. of beliefs. But um, yeah, and he, whatever, what became of him? He's, oh, he, he's, he's now in solitary confinement yeah, in a right. prison in Beirut for yeah. presumably the rest of his life. He, mm. he, what happened was in about 2004, 2006, there was some, you know, Islamist terrorist attacks in Britain. Then he went to visit his mother in Lebanon. And there'd been a lot of bad publicity about him inspiring terrorism. Mm. And then when he was out of the country, he was banned from returning. And then so he was like stuck in Beirut. And then he got arrested and he's been in jail for like decades. With... Uh, trial or without uh, trial? That I don't know. I know that his charge was uh, the same charge that people were accusing yeah. him of doing in Britain, which was inspiring terrorism. or something. Yeah. yeah. What is it about, I mean, we can just get to this, but I mean, what is it about, you, you're prescient about crazy people, right? Yeah. He became rather notorious and famous. Your first book, you are wandering around the woods with a kind of not yet bloated, but very crazy public access host from Austin, Texas, who is, we know as Alex Jones. Yes. And this um, was what year? Uh, this was 19, I'd say 99. 99? Yeah. And what was his, I, I mean, how did you get him, how was he on your radar at that time? Well, okay, so... Because he had no internet presence at the time, right? No, he was no, like a local really. Yeah, he was on like shortwave. Right? Yeah. Um, and people thought he was funny at the time, because I mean, he's in... You know, a couple Richard Linklater, two Richard Linklater movies, mm, I think. Yeah, yeah, Waking Life and another one, Scanner Darkly, Scanner I think, Darkly. Yeah. Um, he, he was definitely Austin famous because I remember we went into to get a tuxedo. He was going to some big fancy event, and in the in the tuxedo store, the the guy said, you know, kind of quite sheepishly said, like, "I listen to you every night, Alex." Yeah. Um, and but he wasn't like I, I could tell that the cost, that the guy in the store wasn't like a conspiracy theorist. He was somebody who listened to Alex for like entertainment reasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, was he at that point when you met him? Was he as crazy as he is today? Uh, he he was less. Um, well, he was definitely as charismatic and as clearly going places. This is why, like, I'd love to say that I was you know a soothsayer, but. He was he was kind of obviously going places. Yeah. The first time I met him, um, he just um, it was at Waco. It was at David Crusher's place at Waco, and Alex had rebuilt it with listener donations. Um, and so we went. I went there with Randy Weaver, you know, who was sure. from Ruby Ridge. Yeah. So me and Randy Weaver like drove to Waco. Also, by the way, a Nazi. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, you're st- and you're still Jewish at this point. Yeah. <laughs> so. Although Randy, Randy Weaver was definitely, the Weaver family were definitely a bit softer. They were they, softer. Yeah, yeah. They were on the They sort of, did go to a couple of those training camps and like, uh, what, yes. what was it? Uh, uh, Aryan Nations. Yeah. That guy who's an old guy that ran that. Um, oh, well. Published uh, uh, The Turner Diaries. Yeah. I met him as well on a couple of prisons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, they're, they're still like, uh, I mean, yeah. they're on the Nazi spectrum, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> they're definitely on the and spectrum. And as a Jew, I would say you should probably avoid people that are in any way associated with the Nazis. <laughs> well, funnily enough, I felt, I always felt pretty safe around Weavers. Um, mm. and Randy's daughter, mainly because Randy's daughter, Rachel, was just like, 
like adorable. She's just delightful. She was mm. like somebody I, I'd be friends with in London, mm-hmm. like an art student. Um, really? Yeah, who kind of happened to be heavily armed because she came from like that family. But do you keep in touch with her? Do you know what happened? No, to her? one of my regrets. You know, I've tried to, I've tried to get back in touch with Rachel Weaver a couple. Because of Because you know, it often years. happens. You know, with the Phelps family and these things that people, you know, there is a neo-Nazi uh, blonde uh, mm. twins, Prussian blue. Yes, <laughs> Prussian yeah, blue. the Panzer Division, whatever they were called. <laughs> And they've since become sort of lefty hippie types. And yeah, and people, of course, Megan Phelps. Megan Phelps, and yeah, I mean, a mm-hmm. lot of these people get it. And I wonder if the Weaver girl Yeah, Rachel has. I, I've, I've often wondered about her. It, it, was one of my, it was one of my happiest journalistic experiences doing that show because they were in, like, they were in Montana and Idaho, and I'd never been to the Pacific Northwest, and I loved it. And we just got on like a... Like a house so you got there. on really well with Randy Weaver. Yeah, well, with their daughter, with his daughter Rachel, I got on really well. But, but Randy he, was a bit grazed. Yeah, but I guess the question is, and I I, ha- I suffer from this problem a little bit. Um, you know, as a journalist, I tend to fall in love with everybody. Mm. I tend to, I mean, it's, it's your job to be able to relate to everyone and yeah. talk to everyone and chameleon into situations, um, which I see journalists that can't do that. And it's, you know, it's like, you're not getting the things they shouldn't think that you love them. I mean, I had told mm. a story, I think once in this, is it with this podcast when I was with somebody and I hope he's not listening because he'll know it's him, uh, a producer and we went into a bar. Um, God, it was like basically in somebody's house. And I ordered like a high, I mean, a high life or something. And he was, uh, I heard him at the bar talking to the woman about um, trying to explain what an IPA was. Right. And I'm like, no, this is not how you do it. You didn't get asked for an IPA. And the woman was like, I don't know what that, what, I know what, an IPA? I was like, just get a fucking Budweiser. Just, you know, come on, fit in. But I find often that I end up liking these people despite the fact that I find their views abhorrent. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I, I mean, I liked Rachel a lot. At the beginning, I liked Alex. Uh, and so I should explain, just to finish, just yeah, to yeah. close the circle. Yeah. So me and Randy Too many Weaver, fascinating characters, John. Yeah. <laughs> so me and Randy Weaver went to Waco. I think it was my idea, like because obviously in so many people's minds, the burning of David Crush's church and the shootings at Randy Weaver's house are, are so connected. kind of connected. Yeah. Um, and Randy just happened to mention to me that he'd never been to, to, to Waco. So I said, oh, let's go. Let's go on a road trip. So we went on a, we went on a road trip to, to David Crush's place. And they were just finishing off rebuilding the church. Um, and Bo Greitz was there. Oh, wow. Yeah. A, a perennial presidential candidate. Yeah, too, sort of legendary militia yeah, figures. Yeah. And there was this young guy, 26 years old, who looked 46. And I first noticed him because Randy Weaver was like, like a starstruck child. He's like, oh my God, there's Alex Jones. In 1999? Yeah, uh, wow. because in militia and sort of white yeah. separatist circles, he was already a bit of a star. Yeah. But, and in Austin circles too, but other than that, completely unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, so Randy was like, oh my God, I, I, you know, I listen to you, I'm such a fan. And so I started talking to Alex and straight away Alex was, um, you know, just clearly very good at what he does. Yeah, and you say that, you know, it's back when you were friends with him. I mean, uh-huh. it, it, it's only only recently that you because I, I and i will i remember when i was in his studio in austin i was shooting there and um i think we were texting yeah and i and you were and it was really funny and i hope you don't mind me saying this and if you do i can cut it out but i remember you saying like you know he's mad at me for this kindle uh right. single or whatever it was called at the time that you did and you were ex- explaining yourself to me yeah. to pass on to him <laughs> 
And I was like, he's even madder at me now. I, it was, it, you went f- yeah. full bore after well, that. Well, I did, the, I did a, the smirk and life story about him, which I think he like hates. And that was about his, his, his high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, sort of kind of some of the, the key to, to what he became. I mean, so mm. what did you, like your time with him, you went to Bohemian Grove with him. Yeah. And I should say, like, it's hard for people to understand who weren't really around in, in the 90s. Um, a bit like Omar Bakri too. There was like this. This was before they'd done anything particularly bad, and yeah. and there were warnings. There were definitely warnings about Omar Bakri. I remember somebody from the board of deputies of British Jews like took me to one side and said like he may seem like a joke figure, but he's not mm-hmm. about Omar Bakri. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Alex, he was a um, he he was like someone you'd you'd, you'd see in uh, in a in a Richard Linklater movie, like yeah. somebody you'd see in. Dazed yeah. and confused. Um, you know, he didn't. He wasn't at that point hounding the parents of dead children or yeah. or being Islamophobic. Like, like that stuff came later. In, in the, the politics at the time were not really. Ex- I mean, were they? Was he political at the time? Was it more just like bizarro conspiracies? It was sort of. I suppose there was a sort of politics behind yeah. it, which I guess is a, a kind of libertarian, anti-globalism yeah. sort of thing. But it was all kind of. It all felt sort of pretty vague and. Sci-fi. And who would have figured that that would end up in the White House? Oh, Jesus. From, I mean, from hanging out in the woods with I, some yeah. barrel-chested lunatic to the White House. I couldn't believe it. I was at the, I was at the gym like 20 years later and I, and I just happened to put on my headphones I, just as somebody said to Trump, like, are you going back on, like, at a Q&A at a, at a yeah. campaign rally? Like, are you going back on the Alex Jones show? And he went, Alex Jones, good guy. Yeah. yeah. And I, 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 was, I was stunned. It know? is stunning. Yeah. And, and when I was with him, he, I guess this was 2017, maybe 16, mm-hmm. and he was talking about, but you can never tell with Jones, is that you, he was saying, like, you know, you're like, well, I, well, I talked to the president, Michael. I, you know, I talked to him the other day. And it's like, yeah. do you talk to him? Do you actually have... Because he overstates his influence mm. in so many ways. Roger Stone does the same thing. And, I mean, the question that everybody asked me, and I'm sure everybody's asked you when I came back, was, is it an act? Right. And I've been asked that question. People are obsessed with this question, Yeah, right? I've been asked that question a million times, and I've changed my answer. Uh, I used to say... I think it, I, like it's not an act act, but I think there's a sort of element of exaggeration to it. And the reason why I always thought that was because when we were at Bohemian Grove, um, soon after we left Bohemian Grove, Alex started announcing that he had overheard these two old men at Bohemian Grove whisper to each other. Uh, like he said, he was like walking along one of the one of the lanes at Bohemian Grove and he saw these two old men who both looked like Mr. Burns and the Simpsons. Yeah. And he overheard one say to the other... Uh, yeah, we're going to get that guy elected, yeah. which is exactly what Alex Jones would want to hear. Exactly, like would like like that's an Alex Jones Bohemian Grove fever dream. Uh, absolutely right, and, and it's it's funny because I was there the day uh, that the the Russia's ambassador to Turkey was murdered. Do you remember that in the art gallery? Oh he was yeah, in it and and yeah. and he went on the air and he was like talking about how like even NATO was responsible for it and blah blah blah, and the globalists and NATO. and so we had a sit down interview later. And it's 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 foolish to debate a conspiracy theorist because mm. they just make things up, right? I mean, there's no way of debate, like sort of rebutting these things. And at this point, it was like I said, Alex, this has happened six hours ago. And he's like, Michael, my, you know, my sources on this, and I was like, Alex, you don't have sources in fucking Turkey. Like, it's not like someone like Alex, yeah, I'm going to tell you the man from NATO. It's like this is not a real. I mean, so you can't debate these people. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But in that moment, later on, I got a bit cross with Alex. I was on the phone um 
And I said to Malik, you know, it's really irresponsible for you, for you to be like making up lies about things that we didn't see at Bohemian Grove. And he said, what, like what, what are you talking about? And I said, like, you know, you're saying um, that you overheard two old men going, I'm good, we're going to get him elected. Yeah. I said, you, you didn't hear that. And I swear to God, like, I mean, it's 20 years ago and memories play tricks on people. But yeah. I, my, my strong memory was that at that moment, Alex said to me, I look, we know that I didn't overhear them say that, but I'm not going to tell my listeners that. Yeah. You know, which which obviously was an admission. So, so when did it change for you and you realize, oh, he actually believes this? Uh, much later. Like, like that, that was like my evidence for, for probably 20 years or like 18 years. Like whenever anybody asked, I said, yeah, I think he's faking it because, and I would tell that story. Um, but much later, I get this call. So I'm at the Republican convention in 2016. Yeah. And. And Alex, like, there's a guy there who's working for Alex as a cameraman. And he's he's spending quite a lot of time with me. Like, he's, I just noticed he's, like, standing next to me. Like, there was a little mini riot and me and Josh were, like, huddled together. Yeah. And, uh, and I was, like, vaguely thinking, this is kind of weird that Alex Jones' cameraman is, like, wanting to spend more time with me than with Alex. Like, and I didn't quite get it. And, uh, and then um, he started texting me, like... If you stand at this corner um, at this certain time, you'll see Alex Jones and Roger Stone, like Alex is meeting Roger Stone there at this time. So I think, God, this guy's really nice. And and then after the convention was over, it's called Josh. Um, again, he started texting me and saying, you know, I've, I'm very conflicted. I've worked for Alex for years and I'm very mm. conflicted. And do you want to meet sometime? So it was clear he wanted to be like a kind of Alex Jones whistleblower. So we met in a hotel in D.C. And, and it became clear that he didn't have anything, like, specific to whistleblow. He just wanted to, like, vent his frustrations yeah. about, about... His biggest frustration was that, like, he had come to realise that Pepsi doesn't use aborted human fetal tissue to flavour its drinks. Yeah, so yeah. at Trump rallies, <laughs> he, he'd, like, go up to people and he'd say, look, you know, I work for Alex Jones and I want to know that, you know, a lot of the stuff in our videos aren't, aren't true. Um, he was saying that. To yeah, people. he was saying this to like people at Trump rallies, yeah. and and he said to me that people would say to him, "I don't care what you say, I know it's true." Yeah, and and he would say, "But I'm the one making the videos that yeah. are wrong." Doesn't matter, and, then, and it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so then Josh said to me that he heard the secret from Alex's childhood, um, which is what I ended up making the This American Life show about. But another thing that he said to me, I said to him. It's fake, right? Like, and I told him that story about the telephone call 20 years earlier. And he looked really baffled and said, look, I've, I spent every day with Alex. Uh, it's, it's not fake. It, you know, the way that Alex is on, on camera is exactly the way that he is in his office. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I saw it when the cameras went off. Um, the volume went down maybe, you know, yeah. from a 10 to an 8. And he becomes quite garrulous and, yeah, you and, know. And, 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 you know, like I was saying before, you know, I mean, he was fun and he was like, um, and, you know, Megyn Kelly did this interview and was, you know, brutalized for, you know, even talking to him, mm. putting him on the air. And I was offended that nobody brutalized me, by the way. Yeah, me like, and you. Know, it's yeah. funny. I like, well, we... I think it's her Fox News background. They hate her to yeah. begin with. Plus, but... she's, you know, she's like, you know, mainstream evening yes. TV. And yeah. And, marginal. you know, she was getting $70 million for, from NBC or something. Yeah. But yeah, and, and I asked those questions, too. And he kind of, I have to go look at the tape. He walked back the, the, um, the school shooting stuff, the right. Newtown stuff. Um, and you could tell that he was, and I, I was pushing him and he got up 
and said he had to go to the bathroom. It was clear that he didn't. He just went to the other room and he was, because I was pushing oh, him. To pushing sort of him. calm down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, he's, when it's on specific things, he, I mean, the, the things that he says, and I left, I actually made them leave it in the piece because it was just a breath from him and I interrupt him and he's like, you know, he says, he's talking about Hillary Clinton and he's like, you know, these people doing this, I don't know, the Satanists and all of a sudden I was like, wait, they're Satanists? What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. And it's so natural to him that it just flavors the conversation and when you stop him and ask him, he's almost baffled by it. <laughs> you, don't, you don't know about this? And I'm like, no, no, I don't live in your world. In your head. And it's a very strange thing. But, you know, so you, you've done, obviously, Alex Jones, you got, you went from there. I mean, and again, this is not sort of linear time-wise. I mean, you have the Psychopath Test and Ministeric Goats and other books. Yeah. Um, l- let's get to the one that's sort of still relevant today and the one that... And the um, one that starts with, with you. It starts with me, actually. Yeah. I, I am in that book. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, the book is called uh, So You've Been Publicly Shamed. Tell me the genesis of that. Because, I, I, again, you were before anyone else in this. Mm. And it was just like, oh, people are dicks online. And then you saw sort of a trend in this. Yeah. And something sinister about it. Yeah. You know, I think, like, I don't put any of this in the book because it's so, like, solipsistic. But honestly, I think the real genesis was that I'd just moved to New York from London and and moving to a new city was quite a sort of non-plussing for me. Mm. Like, I was very happy in London and for some reason I was now living in New York that I hadn't figured out, like, why the mm. fuck I yeah. decided to move. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so my, I, so I lost, I kind of lost my confidence mm. and for, for the first year of living in New York. And this is why I wouldn't put this in the book because this is such a sort of solipsistic yeah. explanation. But but um, I'd see people getting publicly shamed on Twitter. And because I felt like I was like flailing around in my own life, having moved to this new city and not knowing what the fuck I was doing, I just found myself empathising more yeah. with, the, with the recipients of the shaming a little bit than the than I would have done when I was living in London and full of confidence. And, and that's despite their crime, real or, or um, Well, I was... I, I, mean, I, I think was, for me, that's a similar thing of like, I fall in love with everyone despite uh, they have horrible views, is that I end up sympathizing people with people, the, the ones that even I have taken down. And no. I, I, and that, well, I, of course, I mean, we, we talked about this. I mean, the I mean, general we both, thing, well, we both. I felt bad. I, yeah. I, I, I legitimately felt bad about that. Yes. The first interview I gave... After that, because um, I think I told you when he was calling me and calling me and calling me and calling me nonstop. And he, um, I finally picked up because I, I told him, and I think you put this in the book. I said, this is, you know, bordering on harassment. And he said to me, the only question he had is like, are you going to talk to the media? And I'm such a dope. Right. I was like, I don't, I mean, what I wrote is what I wrote. I don't think anyone's going to want to talk about this. Yeah. And then two weeks later, I'm like, I think that's the last interview I'm going to do. <laughs> but the first one I did was at the New York Observer. The guy, that's right. And I, it was like uh, probably two hours later. And it was, I didn't, I didn't even know he was recording <laughs> it. It was just a, like a transcript of me um, talking about how bad I felt about the whole thing. Yeah. And it's kind of, I mean, I well, get I think the that's why I, I think that's why I contacted you was because of the New York Observer piece. Because I realised it was sort of forming, but I kind of realised I was going to write a book about public shaming and I yeah. wanted to start it with a big set piece. Yeah. And I thought the... And, but I wasn't, like, judgmental. Like, like in, in later stories, like with Justine Sacco, I felt that I was defending her because i felt she'd been unfairly treated she yeah. was she was the aids tweet woman yeah but but with you and 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 to and for the yeah. listeners who don't remember this she was the one who was a nobody from iac and like hr or something yeah 170 and, twitter followers yeah and she's um was going to south africa and said going to africa hope i don't get aids just kidding i'm white 
which obviously is a terrible combination of words, but it doesn't take long to, to think, figure out what she's saying. Yeah, to think yeah. that she's she's doing like a bit, like a Randy Newman bit or a yeah, South Park bit. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Uh, making fun of herself. Yeah, like yeah. you know, in a weird. It's. I mean, it's a. It's a, a sort of joke about her privilege. Right? Yeah, you know exactly. And yeah, everyone that night was like, you know, we need to destroy this monster. And I. Um, and a particularly um, crazy example because by the time she landed in South Africa, the whole yeah, the whole thing unfolded while she was asleep on a plane. And um, the, the hashtag was uh, has Justine landed yet? Somebody had figured out what flight she was on, so they linked to a flight tracker website so everybody could watch the flight. And, and nobody, everyone was thinking, this is hilarious. I think it was, it was the first great shaming, so I think a lot of people thought Do you this remember it new. sort of like contemporaneous with it happening? Oh, yeah, Did yeah. Did you think it was hilarious? Um, my first thought, as, it, as, it, as her tweet first popped up on my Twitter feed, mm. was, oh, somebody's fucked. Yeah. And, and then, but 10 seconds later, 20 seconds later, I was like, this is all fucked up because yeah. it's clear it's it's clear that the joke she was trying to make. I mean it, she didn't tell the joke well, but mm-hmm. and contextually it was troublesome. But um it's kinda obvious what she was trying to do there. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like as far as I could tell, like a whole bunch of people were willfully misunderstanding it because they just enjoyed the drama and they enjoyed, you know, shoving an ideology onto her shoulders, even though she didn't want it. I mean, there's people in that book who deserve it and people who don't. Mm. Um, if Justine Sacco had intended that joke as people wanted it to be. Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't do you, have. But do you, you wouldn't have cared. Do you, no. do you think that? Oh, the, no. And what I mean is I wouldn't have. Like if she was a. Yeah. Uh, a kind of enthusiastic racist. Yeah, I I wouldn't have. But what if? What, but what if she was just somebody who was not an enthusiastic racist, racist, but sort of casually unaware of her racial biases or something? Is mm. was the punishment uh, commensurate with the crime? If it because the punishments. This is the thing that's interesting to me is that they're so harsh. So I mean, harsh. even reading you know Jane Mayer's piece on Al Franken. Al Franken is of course a big public figure. Um, you know, this is, you know, it's eight women that accuse him of things. No one's accused him of actual sexual assault. Everyone's mm. accused him of sort of being uncomfortable and awkward. And of course, Jan Mayer starts the piece with him like shuffling around his apartment mm. and his socks and the, you know, the, the blinds are drawn yeah. and he's like despondent and depressed and like, have we gone too far? Yeah. Well, I can, I can personally vouch for that because I see Al Franken. Al Franken's kids live close to me. So I've seen him two or three times. I don't, Do you know who you are? Uh, I've met him. Um, you know, I I I um I interviewed him. He interviewed me for Air America when the Minister of oh, yeah. came out. And I have a slightly um bad memory of that moment, which I, I've never told this story, but I'll tell you, just because just it sort of tallies with something that Jane Mayer said. Because in the Jane Mayer piece, they said he's got a reputation for sometimes being a bit brusque. Yes. Uh so I was on the train from DC to New York, um, watching um Vera Drake, the uh Mike Lee film about, yeah, about sure. street abortionist. Yeah. It's like the most miserable film you could yeah. possibly watch. It's a Mike Lee movie. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so I was watching the film on the train, like feeling more and more like bleak and despondent. Then I got off the train and went straight to Air America. And as a sort of joke, I said to Al Franken, like I was sat down, we were back to, you know, the song was just finishing. He was about to interview me. And I said, you know, I just, I said, I, I just watched, Al, I just watched Vera Drake on the train coming here. And, you know, and it's maybe it was a bad idea to watch such a depressing movie before doing a just you know before yeah. doing this comedic interview and he kind of went why, why would you do that I was, I was, why would you do that and then that song finished didn't any why would you watch the film yeah why would i watch why would i watch a depressing film before doing a comedic interview i said it's like a little funny thing to say I, I, and al franken you know i, 
in, in a way, I thought about it initially is that, that Jane Mayer is not doing a great job here because, I mean, he sounds like a complete asshole. Right. And then I realized that maybe that's the point is that he's not yeah, a he's, pervert. He's an asshole. Right. And those are two different things. Right? Yeah. Okay. So that, so I met him. And yeah. then years later, I was listening to Giant of the Senate, his, his book. Yeah. And it's really sad because like, if, no, if none of this had happened. He could be in. He could be in the race now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and um, and he walked past me in, on in Riverside Park, and we sort of gave each other big smiles. And then a couple of weeks later, the whole thing happened. And then I've seen him about twice since then, yeah. and on both occasions, he just looks just broken. Like, yeah, like, like, yeah, and it's really sad. I mean, you know, this is why people keep shouting at him. You shouldn't have quit the Senate because every time anybody sees Al Franken, as far as I can tell, certainly it's true in my situation, is that he looks like a broken man. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure. I always, I always feel bad about this. It's like, you know, I guess yeah. comics do their, their routines every night and, you know, people hear it twice. But I always feel bad that maybe people have heard this before in the show. I don't remember I've said it. Yeah. But I was um, r- about 10 feet from Al Franken when he was told. Right. Um, oh. Yeah. Wow. That's a picture of me walking. And there's Al Franken getting up from the committee. Uh, it's described in, in oh, Jay Mayer's piece. Right. And he, he's, he's walking out. That's the beginning of the committee meeting. And he doesn't attend. That's him walking out at the end of his career. Jesus. I was standing right there. With him, and, and Al Frank is there. And the guy comes in, whispers in his ear. And we were shooting a piece with Senator Blumenthal, who was on the Judiciary Committee. We got there early. Franken was the first person in there. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, there's Al Franken. Guy, we're sitting there. Guy whispers in his ear. And he gets up and walks out. About 20 minutes later, an alert comes on the phone. Right. It says Al Franken's career is over. Um, so, but, but, you know, so does this, the punishment fit the crime? Yeah. Um, well, so, I mean, because uh, there's so much more has happened since you wrote this book. Mm. And I think I remember you talking on Twitter, uh, uh, like, you know, I'm doing an appendix or something or a, or a, a new forward or preface. And what um, recent uh versions of this should I do? Yeah. And I got like a, probably a million. I mean, they happen every day. Right? Yeah. And it's got, I mean, and now it's turned into what they call cancel culture. Yes. Which I find, the thing I find most offensive about that is, I think, I presume that most of the people who are, who are canceling people are, are young mm-hmm. and they don't understand how important work is. Yeah. Like, they don't understand both, both in terms of providing for, for yourself and for your family, but also your, you know, my, my whole psychological well-being is, is, uh, is, um, linked to my work i mean it's your identity in so many ways yeah Yeah. so for a bunch of fucking teenagers to decide that that person shouldn't have a livelihood is just you know it's chilling to me and it's chilling and it's all and it's um you know it just makes me think you're doing this from ignorance you're doing this because you haven't you haven't um lived long enough i interviewed a guy um the pieces online the guy who i don't know if you remember the guy from the feminist t-shirt company male owner of a feminist t-shirt company who, and this is the difference in time. This is the difference when you wrote the book and and what happened now. He started this company and wrote a Facebook post around the time he started it, 2012, 13 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And he confessed to being a bit of a creep, nothing like nothing violent or anything like that. The worst I think was, you know, he put a woman's hand on his penis while she was sleeping and she pulled it away. And that was it according to him. Um, And, this is why I'm starting this company. Okay. So, you know, now, five years later, six years later, staff with a bunch of 21-year-olds, 22-year-olds, and he's, he's very diligent about they have a trans employee, women of color. He's a very, very sort of, you know, and, and you talk to him and he's like you know, so steeped in the language and everything is like from that universe. And um, somebody found the post. And in the past, confessing to that was 
a badge of honor. It was like, I have, I have evolved as a person. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, oh my, you did this. Um, we're going to destroy you. And they went to him and they said, you have to give us the company. Um, it's our company now. And he said, no. And then he fired them. So of course the headline is male owner of feminist t-shirt company who confesses to sexual assault fires feminists who work for him. <laughs> and I, when I talked to them and, and you know, this was, you know, Henry Kissinger on the Iran Iraq war. It's too bad. They both couldn't lose. You know, it's like this, <laughs> these people were, uh, everyone was awful in it. And uh, one of the women was saying, I said, can he ever come back? Do you think he should ever? And, and she said, no. Mm. And I said, never. And she said, no, absolutely. It should be the end of it. He's a sex. He's a, he's, um, I said, oh, they called him a sexual assailant, um, which is an interesting language. And, and so a little later, it was in a very interesting, kind of a rough neighborhood in Philadelphia. And I said, you know, imagine a kid around here pulls a gun on somebody, robs a store when he's 17, 18, 19, goes to prison for five, six, 10 years, gets out. And, you know, he's a young minority kid. He's had a, a tough background, the rest of it. Would you hire him? Yeah, of course mm. I would. The yeah. guy who is the rubbing, like maybe he's a creep. Yeah. Nope. Uh, the guy who was potentially, a, you know, pulled, shot somebody, pulled a gun, whatever. That's fine. It's that. I mean, it's I know. It's very strange. Yeah, that dissonance. You know, I noticed it on Twitter right from the beginning that, yeah. you know, when, you know, when we all watched Making a Murderer, we all uh, identified with the kind-hearted defense attorneys, but give us the power of justice and we act like yeah. hanging judges. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not how we see ourselves, but it's what we do. No, and do you think that like, so here's a question that you're not going to like, um, <laughs> because I mean, I would say that you're broadly a man of the left. You've come from the left. That's sort of you yeah. the Guardian. And in fact, if anything, I feel lately since, since Trump got elected, I've, 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 I've noticed myself moving further and further to the left. I think this happened to a lot of people. I yeah. think that, you know, any, I mean, to get run screaming away from that stuff. I mean, it's a lot of my friends and, you know, I mean, I completely understand it too. Uh -huh. um, this is something that is happening, I would say, with more frequency on the left. I mean, there are definitely conservative versions of this. Mm. There's conservative speech policing, cancel culture in their own way. Um, you know, the sort of McCarthyism that, that grips these people. Um, they don't want certain people to speak on campus, et cetera. They want people canceled, fired from their jobs for, you know, wanting flags burned and the Kaepernick kind of thing. Yeah. But it seems to me that it's kind of on that side of the aisle more. Yeah, more. I think, think more is a good word. Why do you think that is? Um, maybe historically, um, public shaming is, is one of the few weapons of the, of the dispossessed. Um, I mean, I noticed that criticism when so you've been publicly shamed came up. You know, people people said John Johnson's attacked social. Uh, John Johnson's attacked public shaming. Public shaming is one of the few weapons that marginalised people have. So John Johnson must be attacking marginalised people, which yes. is you know, which was bullshit. But yeah. I think in that is 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 probably why you you get more shaming on the left than, than on the right. Do you, do, you, do you think it's a problem? Because I think it's all tied up a lot in the sort of woke culture. And I think there's a huge backlash against this on the left. Mm. I mean, today is a story in New York Magazine about this podcast, um, Red Scare. Oh, These no. three uh, young Bernie Sanders supporting women who are really anti-PC. And they just, they're like, the Sanders right. like the anti-PC left, basically. And they're hardcore Sanders, um, socialists, social Democrats, and they're like, this stuff is crazy, right. makes us look bad. You know, the, the, and alienates oh, the working class. Right. Yes. Um, I, I've noticed that backlash too, and I'm and I'm I'm happy for it. I've no one one way that all of this is really burning hot at the moment is is particularly in Britain with the trans versus 
what what the trans people call TERFs, trans-exclusionary yes. radical feminists. Yeah. And this is everything that's happening both from different factions on the left. It's totally fascinating. It's, you know? it's insane. I think I'm it's, gonna, I mean, the guy, Graham... Graham Linehan. From uh, Father Ted. Yeah, and, who I've known 25 years. Um, and who, by the way, uh-huh. prior to this stuff, I, when I saw his uh, Twitter feed, I was like, this guy is, I mean, he, he this should be you know, in the Daily Worker or something. Right. I mean, he's a, pr- a lefty guy. Yeah, Pretty yeah. hardcore lefty guy. And I really, I've, I've liked him for a long time, but he's become, you know, he's become like a leader of, of I've got to use my words carefully because, sure. you, you know, because they just destroy yeah. you. I mean, they're like Trump, you know. If, yeah, you, if, you, if they perceive that you've hit them, they hit you back 10 times harder yeah. to the extent that they will say things like... Um, do you know any secrets about this person? Like they'll broadcast that on Twitter. Yeah. DM me. My DMs are open if you know anything about this person. I've seen you that know. happen to a couple of people in particular. Uh, uh, one in, of whom in has the been, trans thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of whom has been a guest on this uh, right. show, uh, Jesse Singal, who oh, writes right. for um, New York Magazine. Yeah, yeah. But he's become persona non grata because of this trans stuff. Yeah. And I don't Although know. But he's getting it from the other side because he's more critical of the trans side. Yeah. I so. mean, he's, I, I, I don't really understand the debate and I don't want to. Because mm. if I do understand it, then I'll decide to wade in and just like yeah. suicide bomb my well, life. Well, I, I did. And, and, and it was like a, like a suicide bomb. You, well, you chimed Yes. In. Well, yeah. Because what happened was, um, well, first, I, you know, I've got some, some fake, you know, far left, well, very left wing friends. Yeah. And they would say to me, you know, fucking Graham Linehan, you know, and, and they would sort of say, why don't you say something? You know, you've known Graham, you know Graham yeah. for 25 years, you know, Graham's doing all of this danger to, you know, all of this harm to trans people. Why don't you say something? And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and so, so I resisted for a couple of yeah. years saying anything, but I was... A couple of years? Yeah, maybe a year. Yeah. Um, then Graham went after my friend Maeve. And I realized, I noticed that I did not speak out for I was not Maeve. Yeah. But yeah. a little bit of me felt bad about it. And, <laughs> Your knee molar moment. Uh, but, yeah. but, but are are you broadly, you know, you disagree with him? Oh, yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it feels, it seems to me like watching, I mean, I don't know, like, I'm, I'm not, like, I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of it. But from yeah. what I can tell, you know, what they do is they'll take um, an isolated incident and go on and on and on about it. Mm-hmm. So there was an occasion where either a trans woman or somebody claiming to be a trans woman was sent to a woman's prison and raped a woman in prison. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, they, they use that all yeah. the time. Yeah. I, but as far as I can tell, it's the only time anything like that's happened. Uh, so, so, it, so it feels like it's, you know, it feels like what... Well, but something like that, I mean, you can argue on the merits pretty easily, right? You can say this is... Uh, the, but it seems uh-huh. that the counter-arguments don't even resemble arguments anymore. They resemble, you know, again, mobs yeah. and destroy this person. You're, uh, yeah. It's crazy. If you attack them, um, because, so what they're saying is, you know, trans women aren't women, they're men. Um, and if you're supportive of of them, of these men, then you're a men's rights activist yes. who wants women to be unsafe in their safe spaces. That's, yeah. that's their argument. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's taken on this, this very strange thing is the, the woman who's a uh, feminist woman who was banned from Twitter, the Canadian woman, uh, who said, you know, if you have a penis, you're a man, you can't be a woman. Right. And she's banned for that. Right. And it's, it, it's strange. I mean, it's ferocious the, on both sides. Yeah, it's it gone is, crazy on both sides. It's gone crazy but, on both sides. But I've got to say my sympathy because, well, so what happened was I was, I was doing this speaking tour in May and just as I was drifting off to sleep, I saw somebody tweet Graham like, why is John Ronson following you? And this has happened a few times. Like, trans people will, follow, will tweet me, I notice you still follow Graham Linehan. Does that mean you're also a transphobe? Yeah. 
And I would like message them back to say, look, you know, I've known Graham for like 25 years. I don't agree with anything he's saying, but I'm not going to unfollow him just because some stranger on the Internet tells me to. But do you respond to that stranger because you're afraid of them? Because it's a crank, right? If a crank said to you, John, your opinion about the Kavanaugh hearings, your opinion about, you know, free trade is bullshit, you would go about your day. Yes. So I don't know why, but a couple of times I did respond. Yeah. Um, the temptation is always pretty, yeah. pretty strong. But so, so you know, my, my year zero in all of this was not year zero, ground zero yeah. uh, was um, I'm, I'm in Edinburgh. I'm drifting off to sleep. Somebody tweets Graham, why does John Ronson follow you? So I quickly tweeted, look, I'm drifting off to sleep. Please leave me out of this. And then I fell asleep. And then the next morning I woke up and Graham had tweeted something like, John Ronson follows me because he thinks you're all assholes, meaning, you know, <laughs> trans people or trans. So I just thought, you know, oh, man. so I'm like reading this and I thought, oh, fucking hell. Yeah. And I'd sort of been wanting to say something. So, so because he went after my friend Maeve yeah. and people were saying to me, you know what, you're a coward for not, you know, Graham's doing damage. He's putting people at risk and you should say See, I don't, the, the thing about this is it, it, this a good question to ask you and your experience with this is that I always find that a really disingenuous argument. Like, I w- would I would defend my friend, as as, as I think you mm. did, um, and I sympathize with anyone who's a- attacked by a mob of trolls. But I think that, like, the harm argument is where it starts breaking down. Because, you know... Because if there isn't tangible examples of, yes. of harm... I mean, I think one of the... I, has anyone been killed because of any of this stuff? Yeah. All I hear all the time is death threats, death threats. I get death threats. And there's like an egg account who says you should fucking die or something. Mm. And then they have police protection and it's like, you know, yeah. they're a martyr. But, you know, I think it's being used oftentimes to to limit speech and saying, please don't stop doing this because you're putting this person in harm. It's like, no, I'm having a debate about something and the person might be wrong yeah. about it. But I, Well, I'm, I'm nodding because uh, I, I, you know, I've, I've had all of those thoughts yeah. and, and I, I think I agree with you. Like I, I haven't, because um, um, I've looked around a little bit to, yeah. to see if there's any links, you know, mm-hmm. between acts of violence against trans people and, and that particular faction of anti-trans people. Yeah. And uh, thus far, I haven't, haven't found anything. Yeah, I mean, it's even when people say that I've gotten hate tweets I, oftentimes i can't find them when i look for them yeah so so no so i do i do yeah. agree with you but nonetheless I, I i said to graham like i tweeted graham something like you know graham you know it's not you're not it's not right to say that i think that your critics are assholes because uh, i don't and i think you take isolated incidents and use them to smear a community anyway after, after i tweeted that the gates of hell opened, opened on yeah. me uh, yeah. uh, and graham just over and over and over again was like basically rallying people to get yeah. me yeah, um, even though we've been friends for like decades. I mean, do, do you think that in in you know your book and did you see examples of this? Is that do people do that when they themselves have been victims of the mob? And I say victims, mm. I use that sort of broadly. Is that you know he has been attacked pretty ruthlessly by yeah. these people who say you hate trans people, you want to see us dead, and yes. you, may, you and then in the response to that is not to be contrite or to explain, is to, is to, is to you know, have your own flying of, monkeys. Of you know, exactly. Absolutely, yeah. Plus, Graham's been very open about, you know, being, being you know, bullied as a child. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I think, you know, I think it's probably some of that. Twitter's just bad it. for everybody, isn't it? Oh, so bad. Yeah, maybe so we should bad. all get off of it. Well, you know, it went down the other week and it was like fucking, it was amazing. It was yeah. like that episode of The Simpsons where everyone goes, when it she yeah. gets cancelled, <laughs> everyone whitewashes fences. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and like, but did you anticipate this when you wrote that book? Yeah. Did you see this trending this direction? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's why I wanted to write the book. I thought something really 
you know, this is really fucked up and it's only going to get worse. But I didn't anticipate Trump getting elected. But yeah. I do think if you read, like, see, being publicly shamed was, was um, published in 2015. And I, I, I think, I mean, this will sound like I'm a bit too much in love with myself. But, no, but I do think um, embedded, you know, in, in the same way that Them came out just before 9-11, my book yeah. about extremism and conspiracy theories. And when you read it in the light of, 9-11 you sort of think okay you could feel that something's bubbling with shamed too i think you can sort of feel um you know that well trump is the twitter president right and and it it feel i I, I suppose what i'm getting at is i would notice with justin sacker for instance breitbart infowars you know um they would they were propagandizing the fuck out of the justin sacker incident but it started by Gawker, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. But I mean, the right were like yeah. saying, yeah. just like they're doing now with the squad. It's like, here's yeah. a weakness. Let's yeah. fucking, let's exploit yeah, yeah. this weakness. Here's the left acting in a way that we think is weak. Let's mm-hmm. get them. So the fact is Breitbart and Infowars were going on and on and on about, you know, the left shaming people. And I think it contributed to Trump's, I think, I think you know, it was yeah. like... It was like the polluted waters from which Trump emerged like a mutant fish. Yeah, I mean, it's it is, and I, I the more I talk to Trump voters, it was always this idea of like I can't believe people call me a racist. They call everything a racist, and they attack everybody in this way. And there's these mobs that come after us if we speak our mind. Yeah, and they were vo- voting for Bernie in pr- the primary and voting for Trump uh, in the, the general election. <sighs> right, and there are a lot of people that I talk to like that. But you know, I mean, the thing is, is that this. I'm, I could probably wrong about this. I'm just, I'm, I'm taking a total leap here. Right. Is this the book that changed your life more than uh, any other? Actually, the book that changed my life more than any other was Minister at Ghost because George Clooney made a film. Oh, that's it, right. And, yes. And I got, uh, I got, you get a lot of money. I got a windfall. I mean, it wasn't like an, it wasn't like an amazing windfall, but it was enough to move. Yeah, you're playing fucking keyboards in Manchester. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In like you know, in Rusholm or something. Yeah. It's, everything's a windfall after that. Like, exactly. But but I mean, the one that changed. I mean, in, in the sense yeah. that like, well, I was when, just this. Oh, to be honest, like, saving public shame definitely made me like this kind of cultural figure. But straight away. I felt uncomfortable and resistant, and and I kind of I, I, I sort of retreated from it as quickly as possible. But people come to you, mm. right? And that's what I mean. Like when, when when you said Al Franken, I immediately asked, "Has he come to? Has he talked to right. you?" He because has, but others have. And, and and you know, I became friends. We were talking about this before. I became friends with Amanda Knox through mm. you. Yeah. Um, you brought her to dinner that's, because that's she contacted right. you. Yeah. Because she had been shamed in in, in Italy. Um, you've become good friends with Monica Lewinsky, correct? Mm. Yeah. Who, you know, is God. I mean, that's the knee plus ultra of like 90 shaming, right? <laughs> right? And who you quite enjoy as a person. Yeah, I, I like Monica yeah. a lot. And so this, I mean, you've become this person like, so, and yeah. then I know you have to go in a sec. So let me just go to this. I said to somebody who had a shaming thing that they wanted to talk about, you should talk to John Ronson. And I don't know if it was me that did this, but it resulted in, in some way. Um, and again, it's not because of me, I'm going to say, maybe he had this idea on his own. And you reached out to a guy named Kevin Moore. Yes. And Kevin Moore is a porn producer whose wife, August Ames, uh, committed suicide. And you did a, a fantastic um, audible uh, you know, it's like, I guess it's a podcast audio book. Yeah. It's like, well, now you can get it on like regular podcasts. Yeah. Places. Yeah. So, 
Um, it's the only time, um, and unfortunately, it's your wife's birthday. Happy birthday, uh, Mrs. Ronson. Um, so I can't get into this, but it was the only time I actually disagreed with you on a couple of things. Listening to it, I was like, John, I'm going to send you an email about this, and I didn't, I didn't actually do it. But it's tr- it's a terrific, uh, I recommend it. Is there time I, to say, let's say, I've got to leave in like sort of about eight minutes. Okay, that's, it, it, I, I, I loved it, and I, I recommend it to everybody. But you've done two, two podcasts in a row about the porn world. Mm. How the fuck did you get there? It's just about, is it because you're a perv and you were like, I want to know more about this? No, it's actually, all British people end up there. Martin Amos is, ends up there. <laughs> you end up there. Do you know what I think it was? Actually, there's a connection for me. There's a connection between Justin Sacco, the AIDS tweet woman and the porn community. Yeah. And the connection is that I think on both occasions they're, they're bullied and it's like it's a kind of legitimized bullying. You defend them pretty, pretty strenuously. Yeah, Twitter. that's what it is. Like, I like I like finding, for want of a better phrase, like mar- marginalized yeah. people or, or, you know, people pushed out of society who other people haven't thought of. Mm-hmm. Justin Sacker was one of those people other people hadn't thought of. Like she, she, was, she was the victim of, you know, of, a, of, of bullying that night, but nobody saw her as a bullied person. They saw her as an aggressor. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the porn community, people, what I notice is that people just don't want to think about them mm-hmm. because if they think about them and think about their lives, they're not going to be able to jerk off to them mm-hmm. so there's this huge amount of dissonance I, I met this woman this young woman uh, called dakota who was at a church school in new orleans and she was telling me about her porn hub habit and i said did you ever learn their names and she said no i never learned their names uh, it's like when you kill a deer you don't name it because then you can't eat it and that and that really stayed with me and i and th- i think that line is why i wanted to make a Make some stories about porn because I wanted to name the yeah. Day. I mean, there's 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 something of a you know kind of mystery in the in the August Dames. Um, yeah, about, so which I which you know I won't reveal and and people should listen to it. And it's, yeah. it's fascinating. But I, I also have uneasy yeah. feelings about the last days of August. To be honest, so yeah. they might be the same uneasy yeah. feelings. I, I have one. I, I, do you want me to tell you? Sure. Say okay. And, and I may okay. agree with you. I got mad at you for one thing. I was okay. standing on the subway platform waiting for the M train. Yeah. I don't know why I remember this. And I and and you. You uh, talked about Kevin, uh, who's the husband of August Ames who committed suicide. Um, Kevin said that it was because of bullying. Um, mm. And there had been theories out there um, that, that he was involved. Yeah. And you talked about that for a little bit. And I didn't think you should have talked about it because there was no evidence whatsoever. Yeah. And I didn't think it was widespread enough out on the internet itself mm. to give it any credence because I thought I talked to someone who was listening to my, my, uh, my friend, Billy is a producer who absolutely loves you. And she was listening to it and she was like, Oh, do you think that Kevin was, in-? and I was Which like, is the oh, last thing I wanted to yeah, do was make not, Kevin a narrative. Exactly. Know, and I know that that wasn't mm. your intention because it didn't pop up elsewhere in the yeah. thing. But when I heard that, I was like, I don't know. I don't know about that. Yeah. You know, I've, I've, Oh, I also feel uneasy about it. Um, I, I think the reason why we put that in, yeah. in the end, was because for, for several months of last year, that that was consuming us, you know, yeah. the, like, you know, because it, we were, we, it was consuming us. Like, is Kevin telling us the truth? If he's not, why not? Mm. And and we were, we were consumed by it. And, I, and, and so was, like, the industry. Um or, or, or parts of the industry. But honestly, you know, the, the well, the other parts of the last days of August, when we find out other things that happened to August that mm-hmm. that Kevin wasn't 
involved with, like this really bad shoot that she did in Las Vegas mm-hmm. and her relationship with her family, which was very, you know, problematic and so on. I, I you know, I feel happier with um so yeah, so you know, I've agonised about that. Did, did you hear? Have you heard from him since? Yeah, I talked to him a, um, a couple of times since the show went out. Was was he angry with you? No, um, no, no, he wasn't. He wasn't. No, I was wondering um, um, if he would be. I mean, I don't want to be. I don't. I mean, he didn't sound angry. We had yeah. a good chat, and so I don't want to kind of put words in his mouth. But um, but, I'll, t- I'll tell you why you should listen to this podcast beyond uh-huh. the fact that it's that is really really brilliant his uh-huh. work is that it's the only time I have ever heard John Ronson get angry um, and hang up on someone because who's calling you know, like, <laughs> it's just it, it, and and it in the politest in the way, politest way. <laughs> this, the, you know I'll just I'll leave that dangling so you get through to that point of the podcast because yeah. it because it's terrific I mean when you and and I, I'll let you go after this but I uh-huh. at the end of that. Um, you know, you did the butterfly effect, which was which was a different. It was kind of the economics and the technology aspects of, of porn and how it's changed everything. Uh-huh. Um, this one was more about, which I think is definitely. I mean, of course, the people are huge, the characters are huge in Butterfly Effect too. But uh-huh. there's, I mean, this is like a painful one to listen to because these people are so fucked up. So many of them, yeah. And what is your relationship with that community like now? You know, it's good. Thank God. I could. I was. You know, pretty much everyone feels that even as as you know dark and terrible as the last days of August is, it's still a, it's still true. I mean, the fact is, you know, August um, went into this industry. She was let down by a lot of people, mm-hmm. and in the end, you know, it all got too much for her, and she took her life. So I think um, I think the industry. I mean, in general, I'd say the industry likes the butterfly effect more because it's such an upbeat, positive story about the industry. But yeah. I think that. In defending them against people that are stealing money from them. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, the sort of tech bros. Yeah, yeah, it's, exactly. You know, the, if, if there are villains in the butterfly effect, and villains is a big word, yeah. you know, it's the tech bros, not, yeah. the, not the porn people. Yeah. So I, I love the fact that in the butterfly effect, I turn on, on its head what people normally consider reputable and disreputable. Yeah. Um, although these days people don't really think of tech bros as that reputable. No, I mean, but the thing is, you say, you say it, dark and awful, I don't know. What yeah. People, you said, is that because the industry is dark um, and awful? Because you you seem to have a positive yeah. view of it in some sense, much more so than most people. I want it's, you know what I want to feel really positive about the industry yeah. because I, I because my my sort of rose tinted view is it's a community of outsiders who can kind of make it in society, yeah. you know, supporting each other and um, and if they've got troubles, it's because of things that happen to them outside of the industry. I've got this sort of romantic view of the industry. But I suppose as the months progress, you yeah. know, I start to think, well, maybe it is a pretty, you know, fucked up so, industry. I, I, your mind has changed on that a little bit. A little bit, I suppose. Yeah. Um, it's 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 children. I mean, it's um, it's full of it's full of children. I mean, the problem with the industry, and I think Kevin would be the first to admit this too, is that it's basically this is going to sound like a. Some people are going to like roll their eyes at what I'm about to say, but yeah. I think if you had to sum up kind of what's psychologically wrong with the industry, it's but you know it's like. And let me caveat this by saying a lot a lot of people go into the industry and it's fine, like sex positive people who've grown up with Pornhub, they feel no shame about sex and about having sex on camera. They go into the industry, 
nothing bad happens. They get represented by Mark Spiegler, who's like the super agent, who everybody says is a lovely guy. I've never heard anything bad about him. Um, and then they leave at their own accord and nothing bad happens. Yeah. You know, those stories really do exist in porn. And I think it's really important to and say Some that. who go on to mainstream success too. Yeah, yeah. Sasha Gray. And, yeah. and I think it's so important to say that because otherwise you're just tarring the whole industry with an ideology, you know, yeah. which, which I, I hate, you know, I hate doing that. Um, but I think you've got other people who've had some, you know, issues growing up, some, you know, abuse. Yeah. They enter the industry as a kind of, um, you know, a place to try and make their way in the world. And maybe some of them are, you know, in porn because they're somehow dealing with some, you know, abuse issues that happened to them when they were younger. Mm-hmm. Um, they see, they find these older men um, and they kind of latch on to them because they, they, they need a sort of responsible figure in their lives. But, and these older men sort of seem to be responsible and sensible but because these older men are drawn to the porn industry, they're like fucking kids themselves. Like, why else do you want to spend your life in porn yeah. with, a, you know, dating a bunch of 18-year-old porn stars if you, didn't, if you weren't yourself emotionally stunted? So you've got these kids who are looking for responsible older people, but the older people are themselves stunted. And, 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 and so nobody's, no one's looking, you know, it's like everybody wants it to be a community where everybody's looking after each other and being supportive. But there isn't enough emotional maturity sometimes to make that a reality. And I think... I think that's the problem with the industry. So, so listen to those uh, two podcasts, Butterfly Effect, and then um, the last days of August. Mm-hmm. Um, you got you got something. Um, so you've been public ashamed is going to be on BBC Radio Four, right? Yeah, they've just put it out as like an abridged BBC Sounds thing. Okay. But no, I've gone. I've sort of gone back to ground a bit, and I'm not really. I'm I'm sort of figuring out. I mean, What's I'm next? Writing, well, I'm writing. I'm writing a show, but I've signed an NDA, so I can't talk about it. Uh, just tell me, it's a television show. Uh, no, it's a live show. It's a live show. Yeah. And are you are you on stage? Uh, no. Okay. Well, I still do that a bit. Yeah, like, yeah. Because uh, I know you do the tour of England. And, uh, and in it. fact, I was talking on stage about my uneasy feelings about making the last days of August, which you know, which you kind of yeah, alluded to yeah. earlier. So you know, I, I've I've been thinking. So I. I've sort of my my stage show is is kind of grappling with that stuff. So now you're hungered down writing. Yeah, pretty much. I've got I've got like two or three long term. Nothing imminent's coming out, and probably mm-hmm. won't be for at least a year. So, but that's we can't expect a book or anything soon. No, I really want to. I, I would love to start writing a book. But you um, have something in mind. I've got, I've got like that's so it's so cloudy. Um, I always think like every book I write it's like I can't write another book because I've got to the end of my thought process and so you've been publicly shamed felt like the end of my thought process but you know it's always a challenge to kind of write a new one uh, because you've put everything you've got into the last one well I went I I gotta go back and and look at that book I remember reading it because I think Adam Davidson gave me a galley of it um, and I saw it and um, I I don't. I think I had one objection. I think I told you. Didn't I tell you I objected to something? What was it? I can't remember. I think it was this the kind of juxtaposition of me and Jonah as me, like oh kind of, yeah, yeah. You, the, yeah, the schlubby guy yeah, yeah, in yeah, Fort yeah, Green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Fort Green's an amazing neighborhood now. Yeah, it was okay. It was good then. But um, yeah. but yeah, it would have been better if I lived in like Crown Heights or something. But, but uh, would have <laughs> made the son, point. Yeah, where my son now lives. Oh god, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Still some shootings in there. But yeah, no, no. That I think that was my my. Um, my Do you think thing. I kind of went over the top on the juxtaposition? I mean, it was at the well because when you see yourself portrayed that way. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I am kind of a, I'm coming across as this kind of, you know, 
shitty, like disheveled journalist who's never going to uh, really make it. And um, although I always thought yeah. you would, I mean, th- this was a very notable thing about you back then, which was that you know your your talent level was was above your success level. So so you were a bit embittered by that. But actually, I'd say rightly so. It's like you should have been doing better. And the fact that you have done better ever since, and and you've achieved your you know this, it shows that that you had a right to to be sort of a, a bit enraged. Do you know, John, that's the first time anyone on this show has ever said anything nice about me. So I appreciate that. <laughs> and I appreciate that it comes from somebody I respect uh, so much. So, John, thank you for joining us. I know you have to run. Um, and um, we won't anticipate anything. No, nothing you. for ages. Just Twitter. Just, twi- Just Twitter. And even even not much of that. All right, don't do much Twitter. the fucking anti-trans people went after me. I'm like, Eve, having eaten <laughs> the apple. <laughs> <laughs> hiding well, behind a tree yeah, wanting to it's, be clothed. It's, it's always going to be somebody because I remember after the book came out, you were um, uh, shamed for something that was in a galley copy. So <sighs> it's always, it's always yeah, something. It's always and it's something. like, no, 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 it's the uncorrected one. No, no, no. And it's <laughs> happened to you a few times yeah. because I think that in some way, when you're the person who... You you are the shaming guy. People get an extra amount of joy in shaming you. I know, so, I know. So I know. They think I'm self righteous. Whether they realize that I'm not actually that self righteous, so actually it's not doesn't um, No, I don't see you as self righteous. No. No. I'm not. All right. Well <laughs> uh, go home. Michael. Tell tell the wife happy birthday. I will. And thanks for joining us. Thanks, Michael. Bye. Bye. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. <laughs>